0: Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. We're going to pick up where we left off yesterday. Yesterday, we talked about Bobby Scott, who I had never heard of until I saw a critical race theory panel at T4G uh, last week, and we went over it. And Bobby Scott had said something interesting. He said that that the ministry of reconciliation given to Christians could be pursued by Christians, but that reconciliation could also be pursued by those in the world, which I thought, well, that's interesting because the ministry of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5 is a reconciliation of man and God through the work of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. But... How the world can somehow approach this? I mean, the world can't even uh, get off the ground. I mean, that, that, it was just weird. But then he went further and he said, well, looking by the way this room looks, he looked at the room and looked at the fact that there weren't, wasn't a lot of ethnic diversity. He said, we could be doing better at the Ministry of Reconciliation, which is really curious because the gospel itself uh, is, is the ministry of reconciliation, that message that people can be made right with God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his death and his burial and his resurrection. And so the, um, the whole idea of using a Second Corinthians 5 uh, terminology, the ministry of reconciliation, and applying that to diversifying uh, some kind of a organization is not certainly a, an orthodox reading of that passage, and it's actually, it's law, it's works, it's not grace. And the Ministry of Reconciliation is the message of grace. And so I I just pointed out that this was a conflation. And then someone sent me all this stuff about Bobby Scott that I was like uh, surprised at. He's went to Master Seminary. He's, uh, been, uh, he's affiliated with T4G, but also the Sola Network and the Front Porch Um the just gospel conferences the BDN Abwele puts on which that's kind of radical in my mind um he also is uh what was the other thing i forget um he 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 did a panel or he was he did an interview where he talked about how the the gospel can bring about reconciliation between people but he he kind of like he says, you know, between slave and master, but he's very quick to say, but not chattel slavery. And it was was really strange. Um, But he had these articles also for the Sola Network that seemed to be influenced by critical race theory assumptions. And so I I just made the point, I'm like, look, this is a guy that I think like 10 years ago, even five years ago, many of us um, would have thought like, well, you know, he's T4Gs from master seminary. He's probably like orthodox in his theology. and, And now you have to kind of like, Question some of those things. You, you can't just like have an open, uh, you, can't, you can't just like leave the door open. You have to have like a grid that's checking out, like the Bereans did with Paul, uh, the people that you let pass through that grid. And so um, that was my only point. And, um, and so I, I wanted to stop though, because there, th- this is so interesting to me, what's happening today. I'm recording this um, on Monday. So I'm, I'm going on a trip this week. I record a bunch of podcasts uh, in a row. And, and on this day, I think it was today, yesterday, maybe. Actually, someone sent me uh, this. Maybe it was this morning. Someone sent me a video of Bobby Scott, uh, and they said, "Hey, look, he's participating on this panel." And it was from, um, it, it was from actually, it, it was a, a video of a guy. Uh, it, it was a podcast called "Dear Woke Christian." That was the name of the podcast, "Dear Woke Christian." And um, the guy who runs that podcast, uh, his name is Jason Whitaker went over some parts of this panel that Bobby Scott was sitting on. Well, it really wasn't Bobby Scott who was the uh, main person talking, at least in the clips that Jason Whitaker was examining. It was someone else. And I want to talk about that person. Um, It's a guy named Scott Sauls. And uh, Scott Sauls is a pastor uh, in Nashville, Pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church, and he said something on this panel that was just—I I just thought, oh my goodness! Like, hold on! Like, no one stopped him. No, no one. Like, it, I just thought, wow! Like, I—I I don't know. I, I just would have like immediately, I think, been like, wait, hold on, hold on! Like, dude, let's clarify this because because this is th- this is serious stuff. So, I want to show you um, some parts of this panel. I don't want to go through the whole panel. I just want to show you some parts of it. And then this is the interesting timing in my mind. I got this clip. I was thinking about Scott uh, or uh, Bobby Scott. I got this clip of Bobby Scott on this panel with Scott Sauls, who's Presbyterian. And then this whole thing erupted on Facebook that I thought, and it was directly related in it. Well, it was indirectly related to what I was watching. And I thought the timing of this, I I couldn't, I couldn't believe the timing of, I'm not familiar with Scott Sauls. I wasn't familiar with Bobby Scott. Um, I'm becoming more familiar now. uh, And and, and then this all comes around the same time that I'll show you uh, this thing happens on Facebook. So it just, it, it's amazing to me how these things have all come together. But let, let me uh, just play for you the clip that I want to play for you, and and we'll go from there. So uh, we'll start here at the beginning. This is uh, Woke Preacher Clips is the one that posted this. It's actually from 2021, and it's... um. It's actually hosted, actually, let's go to the original source video here, if we can here. Uh, this is uh, Race, Gospel, and the Local Church, and of course, it's the Sola Conference. It's that organization, the Sola Network, which Bobby Scott had written those um, articles for that I went over some aspects of in the last particular podcast. So so Woke Preacher Clips found this, and, uh, and, and they ended up doing this whole, they, they took a clip from it, and this is the clip I want to play for you. Listen to this injustice, the sin of racism, is that even though it's not a uh, actual, like, doctrinal gospel issue, is that something that flows from it as a gospel implication. So if we think about the gospel primarily primarily as a life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, being saved by grace through faith, then they can say, just talk about that. Don't talk about race, politics, justice, social issues. Uh, but why is gospel-centered people? You know, and I think Bobby started to talk about that. Why is, why is there... A, uh, a need for us to talk about these issues in the church as the church. Yeah. Okay. Before anything else, let's just stop it right there. Did he rightly give you like a, a, in a nutshell, a definition of the gospel, the, the life and, and, and I, let's just put on, on the side, this whole idea of gospel implications. Let's just, did he right in that moment say what the gospel was? And, and he did. Salvation by faith, uh, grace through faith, the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus—right, that's the gospel. Check out what this guy and it, so here's Bobby Scott sitting right here, um, and and we've talked about the the uh, the whole merging of law with grace, and, and it's just sl- at the best sloppiness, at worst it, it's just false teaching, is what it is. But you know maybe there's sloppiness resulting in that. I don't know, but he, he's made comments that are confusing at best. Listen to this guy on the far right side of this panel as you're uh, looking at the stage. Scott Sauls.
1: Last I checked, love your neighbor is part of the gospel. Uh, it is doctrinal. To love your neighbor as yourself is based on a doctrine that we must love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, and uh, there is no there is no integrity in our preached gospel if there is a lack of. Um, a social dynamic that emphasizes the dignity of every uh, every person, from every background, from every nation, every t- tribe, tongue, people, group. Uh, Great Commission. The, the phrase Jesus used was, uh, we have it translated all nations. The, the Greek reads, ta ethne, all ethnic groups. Go into all the world, to every ethnic group, and preach the gospel. <laughs> Uh, so you, you cannot separate the gospel from uh, leveling the ground for ta ethne, for all ethnic groups, for all people groups. The second command is just like the first one. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I, when, I, when I hear just preach the gospel, um, when, when it's used as an occasion to dismiss Uh, particularly the cries that are coming from uh, injured people groups, uh, people groups that uh, feel marginalized because they have been.
0: Uh, Let's stop it right there. Did you catch it? That's more than a stretch. That's just false teaching. And this is the same false teaching I would expect from a liberation theologian. Walter Strickland said something, basically the same thing that Scott Sauls is saying here. Uh, a few years ago, 2018, he said that, you know, the, the gospel is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's part of, that's not, not even part of the gospel, that's the gospel. And you hear Scott Saul is doing the same thing, This making the same move here. Love your neighbor, well, that's part of the gospel. And what is loving your neighbor, though? That's That's in the category of law. That's what actually condemns us. Because we can't do it, and that's why we need Jesus. And then once we're saved, we, we love our neighbor out of a love for Christ, and the law becomes a guide for us. But love your neighbor is not part of the good news. That's actually part of the what condemns us. He is taking that, and then, as you'll see, uh, and, and there's more I could play. There's actually another clip, woke Preacher's Clips put up here about critical race theory and Scott Saul's. But he takes this, and he takes... That uh, love your neighbor concept, and then infuses into that assumptions about an egalitarian society and making that possible uh, in some way, shape, or form. Some kind of a society that like is like that, and that pursuing this is somehow part of the gospel. I'm going to keep playing it for you, but th- I just want you to recognize that's that's the. Th- there's more errors in this than just one, but that's the big error feeling It's actually a, an existential reality that there are certain
1: uh, certain skin colors, certain ethnicities, certain, you know, sort of Eurocentric um, um, origins that have had the advantage uh, economically, as, as PJ was saying, uh, uh, socially in terms of who has access to leadership and power uh, and decision-making and culture shaping for organizations, businesses, communities, cities, municipalities, the whole nation. Um, and so,
0: as the church... Um, you, just think about this for a minute. The world that Jesus came into and the world Paul was in, when they're preaching the gospel, and the Romans are just controlling everything, economics, Political politics militarily, they're controlling. They're taxing everyone. It'd be very easy to be like, well, this is just, this Roman privilege is just—it's a real problem. Roman male privilege specifically. They had a, a slave system. Uh, they had um, uh, colonialism of, of a sort. They had—I mean, it, it, it just—you—you you could look at the Romans and see so many things that you could even make out to—you you could even portray as much worse than what happened in in the Western world or in the United States of America recently. And, and and so you don't find any language even close to this in the New Testament, where, well, you know, the Gospels love your neighbor, and because of that, you know, part of the Gospel is uh, going and making sure that everyone's economically equal, and everyone, you know, got to take away that Roman privilege, and you, there's nothing like that. But this is where Scott Sauls wants to go here. You,
1: you can't just preach the Gospel while leaving your neighbor out. Uh, you, you're actually preaching a sub-gospel, uh, a, a substandard gospel, an incomplete gospel, when you only preach love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Uh, you know,
0: C.S. Lewis said uh, that your neighbor uh, next to the Blessed Sacrament, it's... But again, that's not the gospel. Loving your God and loving your neighbor isn't the gospel. That, that's the problem with this. So, like he's saying, the substandard gospel is when you just preach loving God. That's not even the gospel, though. You know, you got to include love neighbor in that. No, that's the law. That's the, that's the commands of God. That's the summary of the Ten Commandments and the, and, and the laws God has given to humans to, uh, to follow.
1: Yourself, your neighbor is the holiest object that will ever be presented to your senses. And so there's the there's sacredness of, of other human beings. And I, I think that it's important to remember as well in this conversation that when Jesus said to preach the gospel, uh, when he gave the Great Commission and said, go into all the world to all ethnic groups, uh, he was doing so from, uh, from the center of the earth and was talking about, in part, us who now reside at the ends of the earth, right? And so... Uh, it's a very arrogant thing to behave as if we are the center of the Christian story and everybody else gets to be grafted in, when in fact we are on the periphery and we have been lovingly and graciously grafted in by our Savior who hails from, from the Middle East and um, with, uh, in all likelihood, uh, brown skin, um, probably probably more like your skin, PJ, than,
0: than, than mine or Bobby's, uh, so, so which is... A wonderful conglomerate right of of you show me where in the New testament there's a focus on anywhere on the skin of Jesus and what color it was and and that being a significant factor in relationship to the salvation of people
1: of you, you, of of dark and light skin is uh, I, I, you look at the middle east and and you see uh, in, in, in that particular ethnicity, um, what, it, what it might look like to put us all together <laughs> as one. Uh, and so there's just such a great symbolism there. Even in the likely skin color of Christ himself, it was an inclusive color. Um, and so I just, I don't know how you can preach the gospel without loving people. And, and, and loving people includes being quick to listen and slow to speak and to be teachable, to be humble um, to be ready at all times to repent of our own blind spots when those blind spots are exposed, rather than getting defensive and testy about
0: it. So yeah, yeah, that's the um, that's the the real inclusive thing about uh, having every single author of the Bible uh, be, be a male and um, and uh, the the particular preference that God gave to the nation of Israel. That's just an inclusive thing. Uh, this is so outside anything this is taking trying to stretch to take things from what's happening currently in academia and politics and entertainment and what what's really popular which is it's not popular to be white now that's that's a bad thing and uh to try to downplay it as much as possible but then to, in, to infuse it in the gospel is just is, is crazy to me so anyway th- this is just th- th- actually reminds me of rob bell a little bit this guy but um, but this was the, my first taste of Scott Saul's teaching anywhere or what he, and I was like, who is this guy and why is he on a panel uh, for the Sola network, which I thought this would be about the solas of the reformation. This is totally against, you know, and, I, and and so I didn't, I'm like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Right. And then this happens. So I want you to check this out. This is weird to me how this all kind of came together, but, this is a um, uh, a particular um, post by Rod Martin. Rod, uh, for those who don't know, um, uh, he's uh, an investor. He The Martin Group is his organization, but he's also part of Conservative Baptist Network. And so he posts this, and, you, and you'll see how this relates in a minute. This is um, from a guy named John Payne. And he posts this tweet, and I'll read the tweet for those listening. I'll try to describe this to you. And then I will read um, Rob Martin's assessment of this tweet. So the tweet is, Dear Christian, if Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter ignites more hope and joy in your heart than the gospel, you either don't understand the gospel, have drifted from the gospel, or have forsaken the gospel altogether. The believer's true and lasting hope and joy is not found in any man or worldly institution. The Christian's hope and joy are found in the saving grace and sovereign rule of Christ alone. And then Sola dea, Dea Gloria. So, I, I looked at this first and I, I just thought on my newsfeed and I was like, yeah, that's the reason I'm not on Twitter. Like, cause I'm like, th- those are the kinds of things that like, I, I started to see a tendency in myself to want to like, just start like lecturing everyone and, and tweeting out like all these just hot takes really of like, Hey, like, uh, and usually they're like obvious truths, like so obvious, like no one's going to come out and disagree with you on, on the, the, like the idea that, the gospel should ignite your heart more than than Elon Musk's take over Twitter. But what's happened, I think, especially in the last few in the last year, people are getting tired of these hot takes, especially from like gospel coalition articles. So it's not just Twitter, it's like it's broader than that, but the, if you look at gospel coalition articles, it's like their shorter ones are like a string of hot takes. And 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 they're made they're made for Twitter. Like Twitter has I don't know, it's changed the way that people even blog and stuff. Uh, it's been around for a while, I know. But like, if you look at like before Twitter was popular, I, th- I think blogs have changed. That's just totally a a unfounded assumption that I have <laughs> that I did not prepare to prove. But that's what I think. So anyway, um, these hot takes are primarily like, okay, for, from like the, the, the more progressive side of e- even if, I don't even know what, I want to call it evangelicalism, but what you find on the more progressive side of evangelicalism, for lack of a better term for it, uh, gospel coalition will be part of this, Christianity Today, there's like this this effort to take issues of the left and make them gospel issues, or make them issues of loving your neighbor, or sort of uh, fuse them with Christianity somehow, in some way, and then... On the other side whether it's like a political conservative issue it's idolatrous you got to watch out that's idolatry that's that's a problem like don't love that more than jesus you know make sure that you know you're you love your country oh man christian nationalism you got to make sure that you love the gospel more than you love your country uh, it looks like there's idolatry going on it's always idolatry on the right and then it's 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 one and the same and in uh, congruence and and reconciled with the gospel, when it's an issue of the political left, it's it's uh, you're running on the same uh, course, and so it, it gets weird. It gets like what um, what you saw like Bobby Scott say about on that panel from T4G of like, well, there's there's the ministry of reconciliation, and there's people in the world that are doing it, and there's and where we can do it better. It's like, well, no, there's no one in the world doing that actually. That's that's something only Christians can do, and and so like. it's very easy to take these issues of the political left and things that a political left are doing. You see this like woke church, Eric Mason, like wants to look at, look at the denazification program in Germany. And uh, man, that's just like, uh, that's a, that's the kind of thing the church should be doing as gospel ministry. And looking to that example and the anti-apartheid stuff in South Africa. And it's like, yeah, but these aren't even Christians you're talking about. And so that gets, incorporated into gospel category, Christian category, Christian ethics, and then the other side, the right-wing stuff, or the conservative stuff, is not. In this particular situation, you have Elon Musk, who really, honestly, probably just got himself a huge headache by doing this. He's a target now. He'll probably lose tons of money, but he decided, I'm going to buy Twitter, and um, and he does this, and the thing that makes Christians and conservatives, but Christians happy about it, is the fact that we were banned. We saw where things were going, and there 's a little bit of freedom left they 're just rejoicing and like I can say some stuff that 's true, <laughs> and I can say stuff that 's in keeping with my biblical morals stealing 's wrong, and I can say it, and lying to people 's wrong and guess what uh, the idea that men can be women and women can be men, and that 's not hate speech. I can say you know that 's the thing that they're they 're thinking at least is going to happen with Elon Musk. Uh, being in Twitter. I, I don't know if that's all true. I mean, look, uh, who is it? Mike Lindell, like g- <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny, but it's not. Uh, Mike Lindell got a Twitter account back and he's like, Hey, I'm back on Twitter. And a couple hours later, Twitter banned him again. So I don't know if he'll get that back or not, but so I, I'm waiting to see what'll happen. But the, the thing that the, the press is freaking out about like, Oh, Elon Musk is going to, he's going to allow all this disinformation and hate. And Christians are like, he's going to allow freedom. He's going to allow us to say things that we couldn't say before. So that's a cause for rejoicing. And then when that parade's going down the street, you have a guy like John Payne coming out and be like, don't forget if that ignites more hope and joy in your heart than the gospel. You don't understand the gospel. You're drifted from the gospel. You're blah. These are really heavy accusations. If you really think about what he's saying, these are heavy charges, right? And so, like, the, like it, it's scary of, like, oh, my goodness, I'm, I, I can't rejoice too much in this. I, I have, you know, my pastor or this, this conservative leader, and, and I'll, I'll introduce you to John Payne in a minute, but this conservative leader in, in the PCA telling me, like, I, mean, I better not, I gotta, I gotta watch that. I better not have more joy than I, than I have in the gospel. I don't even know quite how, I mean, he, what he's saying is, like, true, it's an obvious truth, but it's, like, I, I'm, like, where is that happening and then, and then secondly, it's, it's like, how do you quantify that? That's very hard. Like in the moment, like if your sports team wins and you jump up and down, or if it's Father's Day and you're like, hey, you're the best dad, or if like, there's a million things we do in life where we're rejoicing in the moment and it's a special occasion and there's a time for it, and it's like, are you going to just like put, put get your heart out and like start evaluating and be like, man, I really need to make sure that like my rejoicing isn't more than my, like like th- this, I, I I don't know. I used to live a little bit like this where I would just, everything's got to be evaluated all the time or I'm not worshiping or I'm not, and it's it just, I don't, it's a horrible way to live. And this would plague my conscience, this kind of a thing. And I'm, thankfully I'm set free from that stuff now, but, so it doesn't bother me. But when I, like my conscience at least, but when I see something like this, I, I ask the question like, okay, what's actually, what what is someone actually trying to say when they say this? What's, what's the point of this? Are they really legitimately concerned that Christians are, you know like Elon Musk is going to somehow divert Christians hearts from rejoicing over the gospel or is this like a political move is it's kind of like you know hey i'm not i i'm kind of like not with that parade that's rejoicing over Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter i'm i see something potentially nefarious and negative with this or i um like like that's the question that i i have cuz cuz it seems like a a, a, a odd take like an obvious take, kind of a silly take to in the beginning. and th- But then there's also the idea that I'm like, well, maybe this guy has friends that I'm just not aware of. Like he's got some friends that are like literally being like, you know what? I think this is better than the gospel or something. I don't know. Maybe there's some weird people he's friends with. So, so, so anyway, I just thought, man, that's weird. And that was pretty much it. That w- that's weird. I'm glad I'm not on Twitter. I read Rod Martin's take on it. He goes, liberal liberal pietism 101. Make Christians feel guilty and worldly if they're happy about positive developments, otherwise known as blessings. Also, like Tim Keller this weekend on abortion, which is another story, uh, make Christians feel indifferent to curses and feel guilty and worldly for standing against them. I detect a pattern, he says. And he's he's spot on about this, by the way. That pattern does exist. It's like, hey, you're going to oppose evil, then, man, you must be like... uh, you, you must be making politics your religion or something. You're you're wrong for doing that. You better go love the gospel and pray pray for a few more hours. Have you, when was the last time you evangelized? Um, but if you are, uh, if you're rejoicing with a victory that's good for con- political conservatives, it's like, um, uh, you know, you're, it, it's the same kind of treatment. Like whether you stand against the, that kind of evil from the left or you rejoice in like a victory for the right. So, I see the same pattern Rod Martin's seeing. And then he says, the purpose is to prevent any positive action by believers outside the four walls of the church. Like Satan tempting Jesus, it uses the word against itself. It is Gnostic. Its author is not God. Um, And I'm not exactly sure. Maybe I'm just dim right now, but I'm not sure what the Gnostic reference is exactly. But... Its purpose is to prevent any positive action by believers outside the four walls of the church. That is the effect it ultimately has. And I think he's right about that. That is the effect it has. It's like you're afraid to get involved in political things. It's a big problem because you really need Christians involved. But you're afraid because, you know, I don't want to, like, subvert my love for the gospel somehow or replace it with that. So a lot of people like this. And there's a lot of comments on it. And, um, and so this is the, this is the point though, where I, the, the video I showed you at the beginning starts, you'll, you'll start to see why I'm, I'm saying there's a connection here that I, I didn't realize at first glance. So then I found this comment that tipped me off. This is the one that I, it made me all of a sudden, a bunch of things come, came together for me. This is, um, Josh Bice, who is the director of the G3, G3 ministries. And he uh, push back at this. And he said, I completely disagree with your approach to quote booking and quote tweeting John's statement and running down a path that both judges his motives and falsely accuses him of a devious liberal agenda. So he's saying this to Rod Martin that I disagree with you on this. I have been friends with John for years and we have our own disagreements, but I think we lose credibility in the social justice fight in the public sphere when we lose sight of the real dragons and use the sword against those who are actual brothers. Take a shot at Keller if you'd like, but I will respectfully challenge your approach here with Payne. Go hard and strong after real enemies. There is much at stake. I hope you win, but the pathway to victory isn't at the expense of good men's character. Payne's observations taken at face value is an honest observation that many gospel preachers have raised over the last week. So that, that was the pushback. And I don't think... I, th- I don't think I agree with this necessarily. Um, it, and, and part of it is, I guess, I, I haven't seen maybe what he's seeing. And maybe you can put in the, a link in the info section if someone, or the uh, comments, if someone knows about a bunch of people who are saying that this is better than the gospel, Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. I haven't seen that, but hey, maybe there's weird stuff out there I don't know about. But um, if if that's true, then maybe that was something Payne needed to do. Maybe like, I, I just have my doubts a little bit about that. Um, the thing is, though, there, there there is a cause to sometimes go after Christians when they're not being clear about the gospel, especially, and, um, and and that was specifically, and this is where I'm going to get to the video that I showed you in a minute, specifically when they are associating closely with false teachers. That's. That's an issue because it, it just creates confusion because you're like, you trust this guy, right? You trust Peter. Why is he with the Judaizers, right? That that kind of dynamic. that's that You confront that person to their face when they do that kind of thing, right? And so I, I'm just saying there is a precedent for um, critiquing, at times, believers. it's I, I'm not saying that you should make a habit of it. I'm publicly doing this, but it, it's a public forum. John Payne put it in a public forum. It's being critiqued in a public forum. Uh, it's, you know, and, um, and, and I'm not saying I even stand by everything Rod Martin said, Uh, you know, I was at first, I was even skeptical. Like I'm like, he's, you know, a, a liberal agenda. But then I was like, you know what? The effect of his words, I can totally see what Rod Martin's saying here. The thing though, that stood out, this is more important than all of this. The thing that stood out to me was, I was like, why is Josh Bice the one defending this? I'm like, who is John Payne that Josh Bice is defending him? And then it all clicked for me. I was sent a video a few weeks ago about John Payne. And I, I then immediately, I was like, when I was sent that, I was like, Oh wow. I remembered I watched this video of John Payne. Um, and so I'll find it. Let's see. And we'll watch it. So this, I posted it. I said, Rod Martin, about the 26 mark minute mark. I think you'll find John's approach to progressives in the PCA. Interesting. Now, what am I talking about? I'm going to come back to this thread. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Um, Here's John Payne, and he's he's speaking with the Gospel, or he's speaking on uh, PresbyCast, which is a, a PCA, uh, I guess I think it's a PCA focused podcast, and he's he's um, talking about uh, the well, the GRN conference, the what would that be? Gospel Reformation Network conference. Okay, that that's what he's talking about, and. And this is, just so people know, this is who John Payne is. I, it all came together. Uh, he serves at Christ Church Presbyterian in South Carolina. Uh, he is the executive coordinator of Gospel Reformation Network, trustee at Westminster Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and a trustee at the Banner of Truth. So so I was like, oh, wow, okay. So he's got some credibility here. He's As far as, like, he, he's he got some institutional clout in the PCA. Didn't realize that. That's, that's why it made sense, for some reason, me seeing Josh Bice talk about it. I was like, oh, wow, okay, this... This was an important guy, I guess. So then I remember this video, and, and I'll play the video, and then I want to uh, read for you more from this thread and make some comments. Who seem to be experts on all sorts of things, or, they, or at least they've read a book about it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly right. I, I, I you know, it's always it's always interesting to to have dialogue with um, friends from from different different perspectives around the PCA. I, um, I've appreciated my uh, different conversations that I've, I've been able to have with um, Scott Sauls, uh, with Mike Kangean, um, with David Cassidy. Recently, uh, David and I had a, a very long email exchange. Um, and I really appreciated uh, that. And, um you know, he he responded when I had shared some things with him of concerns that that I have and that that, that folks in our so called camp have. And and he responded very graciously and said, you know, I've never I've never really um I forget exactly the way he said it, but he, it was illuminating to him. And he he shared that. Uh uh and you know, I think some of that came out in his article that he wrote where I, I you know, I, I didn't agree with everything in his article, but I appreciated his desire to say, hey, you know, we haven't said enough about the things we're concerned about as it concerns side B, gay Christianity and the denomination. We haven't we haven't been, um, I don't know if he's expressly said anything about social justice issues, but um, that's one of the concerns we have is if if some of these more radical expressions that are happening in the PCA Uh, are indeed as concerning to some of our more progressive or moderate leaning brothers then why aren't they speaking out publicly or writing publicly on them and um so i i think that would be helpful in terms of the unity of the pca for there to be more expression from both sides about what we see as outside the bounds i mean let me, let me stop there for a minute and just kind of review what he's talking about. Because if
0: you don't understand sidebeat Christianity, this idea that you can be same sex attracted, have like a homosexual orientation and still a faithful Christian. And and so th- these are issues that, um, they're, the social justice issues, but that's one of the issues plaguing the, the PCA. And so he talks about this, but listen to some of the words he uses. They're brothers. Scott Saul's is part of that group. And I don't really know about the others, but um, but I was I just thought it was ironic that I'm getting this uh, in this video and it's related to Bobby Scott, but Scott Saul's is the one speaking. And then I, it, I watched this again. Once I saw Josh Bice's comment, I'm like, well, let me go revisit that thing that John Payne video that I was sent. And I heard, uh, Scott Saul's and I was like, Oh my goodness, wait a minute. He's calling, he's saying Scott Saul's is a brother. He's, uh, wanting unity uses that word. Um, he's appreciating the conversations he's having with those guys uh I just thought, what an interesting posture to have towards Scott Sauls and some of these others that he says are progressives. And yet the tweet against people who rejoice about Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter, I thought that's really strange. Now, let me I really want to play this to the 38 minute mark. Let me just play it a little more. Uh, if we can get to that 38 minute mark, I encourage you to go watch the whole thing. Go watch this John Payne on the 2022 GRN conference and current issues in the PCA. You can check it out on YouTube. Let me see if I can just play a little more and then uh, I'll, I'll show you some more of that thread.
2: I mean, Brad, if there was some crazy TR, you know, rabid, fanged guy, you know, uncharitably going after people and being ridiculous, you know, we would say something. We would. We would talk to them. We would tell them to stand down. We would, and we have done. We have done in the past those kinds of things. You know, please don't go to the mic at GA. We do not want you to go to the mic. You know? <laughs> I, I
3: want you to know I didn't hold it against you when, you when
2: you
3: when you rebuked me in that way.
2: But we, but we, we do that from time to time um, because we do love the PCA and we don't want unnecessary uh, contention. And um, the fact is, there are there are guys on the so-called extreme left and on the so-called extreme right that really do love controversy and they 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 live and feed off of it and uh that's just not the grn uh i don't think that's uh the the best of our brothers in the national partnership um but i do think that while you know we do contend for what we believe is right for the PCA and the future of the PCA we need to be honest and I, that that that's why i i really appreciate when confessional guys and more progressive guys are just honest about what their their commitments are because then we can have a conversation on whether or not it's going to be possible for us to all stay in the denomination i i i can't do the I guess I'm just not wired this way. I don't know if it's my my 20 years of soccer or my my competitiveness. I I'm just not wired to to just look at a problem and to see such division and say, "Well, let's just all go ahead and stay together. It's going to be okay. Let's just not worry about these things." No, these things really matter. These are very serious issues that are facing the PCA right now. And uh,
0: I want you to listen to this because there's there's a switch in my mind. So the first part of this is That we want unity, they're brothers. Uh, We've had good conversations, and then it switches, and he starts saying these are serious issues in the PCA. These are this is important, the issues that divide us. And so at the beginning, it's like we're having these good conversations, and and they just need to write more. They need to clarify more. It's like there's kind of like the sense in which he's saying it's unclear, kind of where all the disagreements are, and we're trying to figure it out. We're still in this process of just trying to figure it out, and. We got to write more. And then he kind of does this transition where, well, it's the radicals on both the right and the left that are, they're, they're feeding off the controversy and and almost like there's unity in the middle. And then this switch is all that common ground is kind of built. And then boom, we got these serious issues. And so listen to what he says about these
2: serious issues. And, um, And so we have to be honest with each other about what we believe and embrace. That's why I appreciate these, these RUF guys that were just left for the Anglican church. Man, that's that's great. Like, If you want to be an Anglican, go be an Anglican. If you want to to embrace side gay Christianity as a, a kind of legitimate expression of historic biblical Christianity, then go to a denomination that does. But don't stay here and cause such disruption. That's one thing I tried to say last year at the national conference is don't don't stay in the denomination and seek to unsettle it. Um, we're, we have, I believe, not been the unsettlers, the GRN. We've sought merely to hold the line as to what the PCA has always embraced.
0: Which For for those who aren't picking up on this, you have the, the uh, Re- Reformation Network, and then you have the National Partnership. National Partnership is the more liberal, uh, I, I, for lack of a better... See, I'm not the best on PCA politics here, but that's my understanding. So he's saying that um, his group... Uh, the Gospel Reformation Network is the more conservative group, and and so that's will help those who don't understand that.
2: Which is reformed confessional Christianity.
3: Yeah, that's uh, you know we don't we don't accuse our uh, air quotes smile on my face uh, opponents in the PCA of being theological liberals, but no. but we we do believe that. They may be trying to turn the PCA into something that it it, it really can't be, according to its standards. Uh, you know, in Machen's day, you know, he made the case that we, if you um, if you're infiltrating an organization and seeking to fundamentally change it, uh, the honorable thing to do is, is to stop doing that and and go elsewhere, uh, not to uh, not not to wreck or or change an organization. Just because it has a certain amount of, uh, you know, power, respectability, property, cachet, uh, whatever. And uh, I'm not saying that people are, are you know trying to do that, and that's that they're consciously doing that. But that's how we would view those who want to radically transform uh, the PCA, and uh, and and it all comes down ultimately, I think, to the standards and as as people in the PCA may adjust how they view things like revoice and that sort of thing I believe we saw last year as we as we turn to talk about this year's conference I really think the the bombshell address from last year was David Strains mm-hmm. opening address on, on uh, confessional subscription mm-hmm. and I think that's really what it comes down to and we we can we can hang out with with uh, a diverse crowd we can be nice to each other, but if we don't agree on that, uh, it's going to be difficult. So that that's a bedrock issue. And uh, uh, t- tell me what you think about that before we move on to talk about this year's conference.
2: Yeah, I mean, David's um, message was was outstanding last year, and it, it really touched a nerve of the denomination, because I think the denomination has grown a soft underbelly as it concerns Our confessional commitments and that that message, which should not be controversial. (laughs) That message should not to show where we are right now as a denomination. Um, uh, We see that by the response, the visceral response to David's talk. Um, If you take an exception. To the confession of faith that we have all agreed is our system of doctrine and our standard in our in our churches in our denomination to take an exception to that and to say i want to teach that exception or for presbyteries to be allowed from one presbytery to another to allow which exceptions will be taught um, essentially makes us not a confessional denomination anymore it makes us as confessional as we want to be um, and not truly confessional now Uh, Some have argued, well, the GRN wants strict subscriptionists. Well, all of these ways we talk about confessionalism can be...
0: So for those who aren't PCA and are trying to figure this out, what he's saying is that the Westminster Standards, the rules that govern the denomination, the theology that the denomination believes, must be adhered to. And if there's someone who's saying, well, we think that there's a certain exception here, that this particular... Um, this view uh, that we believe that contradicts the standards we should be able to teach, uh, if they're allowed to teach, he's saying, well, that, that's a problem. And so this is part of—this is why this is such a serious thing, because you have people that want to push um, a, a, an understanding and a uh, an application—well, not an application. You want people who want to push ideas that are contrary to the standards— uh, and, and so I'm gonna let him finish. Uh, there's a few more minutes and then I, I need to show you some more of this thread and explain, I think what's going on here.
2: Uh, slippery, right. And, the, and, and, and they have kind of a spectrum. Like, uh, so, you know, when we talk about scruples, we talk about exceptions. Um, uh, so the problem is again, getting back to, to the kind of reductionism is we talk about, well, if it doesn't strike at the vitals. We use that language, then we should be able to, if it's an exception, we should be able to teach it in our in our presbyteries. Well, what does that mean if it doesn't strike at the vitals? Is it is it does it strike at the vitals to not believe in um, election? we let we we let people come into our churches and become members and not believe in predestination. I assume your church does that. Our church, we don't have a confessional membership. So if someone's struggling with predestination, we we allow them to come in and be members and uh, to be under the instruction that teaches that, but uh, would we let a teaching elder do that? Is it does it does it strike at the vitals to, to not believe that? Well, I would argue that it does. Uh, I would argue that it strikes at the vitals to not believe in infant baptism as it concerns confessionalism. Um uh so i you know i would argue in these issues of sanctification strike at the vitals i mean so you know how how latitudinarian are are we going to be and i think that's that's the 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 big tent conversations that's been happening right is we we we, we've had a, a large tent a big tent since the beginning of our denomination no one's disputing that some are saying that the grN wants to make the tent a lot smaller uh we we're making the argument that there are those who want to make the tent a lot bigger um really the case is that that we want the tent to 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 stay the same and and also to to constantly grow in their understanding and commitment to reform confessionalism where we've been weak in that in the past we want to strengthen that
3: yeah, I almost think when we talk about uh, broadness or latitude, we're in a unique time because we sort of have postmodernism
0: uh, plus one more minute. Just hang with me, okay? I know some of you are wondering why is he showing me all this. Just hang with me. Biblicism uh, plus uh, you know a type of piety. I mean, we saw that in the Lutheran
3: Church. I don't know, it was 18th century, 19th, where where Pietism sort of took over. And one of those three segments of the PCA that uh, Tim Keller, you know, sort of uh, taxonomized, if that's a word, were the uh, were the Pietists and the cultural culturalists as opposed to the doctrinalists, and uh, there is a kind of piety. I mean, Machen went to uh, Germany and yeah. found a, a high level of piety among uh, those those liberals. And again, we're not calling anyone a liberal, uh, but we have these forces uh, where. You know, postmodernism has had its effect. Uh, What language, it affects language and also, you know, the idea of self. Um, And then a certain kind of pietistic biblicism, uh, if I think I know better than the confession, well, surely uh, the Bible's the most important thing, so why not? Why not just go off on my own? Uh, But like our friend Scott Clark says, we need to read scripture with the confessions, uh we need to re- and with with history and with uh with our founders and uh and but also of course with uh we do need to read scripture so uh i think that's a, a unique place we find ourselves in today and every time the church has problems they're never exactly the same they sort of uh they sort of rhyme but they don't uh, don't exactly uh, repeat these problems well let's talk about this year's conference I th-
0: okay so uh and you see uh that John Payne's kind of nodding along uh, as the host is talking about those things, which is there's a level of seriousness they inject at the end that's like, oh, my goodness, this is a big problem. But there's threats to the PCA. There are threats coming in. And and so um, there, there's so many ways I think you could analyze this. But uh, one of them is that uh, – let me see if I can get myself on the screen here for those watching. Oh, I just did something. Hold on a minute. I'm coming back here we are all right so one of those is that when we're we're speaking about people uh, concretely actual people it's it, it, the language is very much uh, it's it's soft it's it's there's an olive branch being extended. these are brothers these are people that we're having conversations with we're trying to figure out kind of what the differences are we're, um, we're on a, a quest here together. And then when it comes to doctrinal issues, and it's kind of vague, but um, you, you heard him mention, I mean, he mentioned like, um, he, as an example, but I think he was giving like, these, these are just uh, four instances, but he was giving examples like election and paedobaptism baptism and sanctification issues. But the, the concrete example he gave um that was uh, in the discussion that was a, a current threat to the PCA is, is the side B Christianity stuff. And he said, well, you know, if you want that, you should probably just go start your own denomination. And he's talking about how important these issues are and how... So so I just thought it was super interesting to me to look at this and to see someone like make that... It almost feel, felt like a switch to me. And it was all also so different then this tweet uh that was just you know going full bore after people who would rejoice over Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter and so this is um how things kind of uh what happened after that so i said rod martin around the 26 minute mark i think you'll find john's approach to progressives in the pca interesting that's all i said it was interesting and, that's, and i'm telling you now why it was interesting to me cuz Rod Martin says, you know, Hey, this guy's like promoting this stuff. And I'm like, I find it interesting because look how soft he is towards these, these guys in the PCA, uh, like Scott Saul's who you just saw a video of who I'm going to just say that's false teaching. And that's like, he just went off on false teaching for like minutes. That wasn't like a little, Oh man, I made a little comment and no, he, he kept going and, uh, and doubled down in, in what he was saying. Um, so like someone like a Scott Sauls is like, you know, is he's a brother and we're just trying to understand. Him. We appreciate each other. But then if you rejoice over Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter, it's like you better not love that more than the gospel. He's like, whoa. So that's why I posed. That's why I thought it was interesting. I'm like, that's the same guy who was like, I thought being so soft on some of the progressives in the PCA. So uh, and then uh, Nicholas Leone posted this. I'm not going to get into to this. I didn't really read the whole article. I just I saw the picture and just it it was I guess uh, someone who was critical of John Payne for the the uh, fellowship that he has with the progressives in the PCA. And and then. and then Josh Bice uh, said, you know, he, he listened to the clip I just shared with you. And he said, I hear a man laboring for clarity on all sides in order to see if the churches of the PCA can go forward together. His call for clarity is a means by which a full and clear conversation within the denomination can take place. Sounds like what the conservative Baptist network is laboring for within the SBC. So I said, I see that too. But that's not the interesting thing to me. On the one hand, there's the present threat of expanding the tent beyond the confession, a serious charge. That is a serious charge. John Payne made a serious charge. There's people trying to expand the tent beyond the confession. On the other hand, there's camaraderie and seeming uncertainty of where the disagreements exactly lie without further clarification. It's a tension that seems to exist among the more conservative institutional leaders every time a denomination liberalizes. I have no doubt John is a great guy on the opposite side of Keller et al., as are the folks in CBN. And so I stand by that. And then um, and then Josh Bice, well, I'll just read it. Uh, he says, I understand the tension in this ideological war around us. However, even during war, there's an appropriate way to go on the offense. Since the Bible is sufficient, we should do uh, well to yield to the text that encourages us to be slow to speak. I see people accusing pain of sin and even categories of heresy, but not much Bible is being referenced. And maybe he's right about that. I haven't read all these comments. But um, if someone's saying that, you know, I don't know, he's a heretic or false teacher or something, then that's totally out of bounds just because of that. Uh, But I I would say if you have someone like Scott Sauls, who is preaching a false gospel, and then the reaction is, well, you know, we're trying to figure it out, and he's a brother, and we appreciate one another. That's, I think you have your Peter moment to to go to that person and be like, hey, um, you're not being clear here by... (laughs) You, you need to condemn this if you're a leader in this organization yeah condemn this and and so i was thinking too, like james 119 um everyone should be quick to to uh quick to listen slow to speak and slow to anger for the um anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of god verse 20 right and and the whole the what i think james is getting at is uh it is an angry speech you know you should you shouldn't uh, it, it's all within the context of, of living holy. And, and so it, it's, don't be angry. And maybe that's what Josh Bice is trying to say. There's angry people going after John Payne unfairly. And that's possible. I, I don't, I'm not defending them. Uh, but, but here's the thing. I think in this, if you're, if it's John Payne, right. And, and if the, if my reading of this is, it, it is a different reading of what Josh Bice is trying to say. Cause I'm not exactly clear what he's saying. Um, If, if maybe what what he's saying is that Josh, and even if Josh Bice isn't saying this, let me just for an example here, if John Payne is trying to be quick to listen and slow to speak, and and that's what's happening, we just need to keep gathering information to find out what this threat is. Even though he knows there's this threat, it's a serious threat, he can sort of identify it. But when it comes to the people that would be promoting the threat, it's like, you know, we just got to keep gathering information. To me, I immediately thought, well, this is the issue. I think in the PCA, in the SBC, and you could fill in the blank with Navigators, not, uh, not Navigators, uh, Crew, um, it's the same thing I've seen from conservatives in all these organizations. I've, every time there is this period of time, there's a window they have to set the organization right, I believe. And that window, it comes and it goes. Because churches start leaving, staff members start leaving because they real they can't put up with the false gospel. They can't put up with the false doctrine. But the conservatives are still on a fact-finding mission, trying to figure out where is there is there a disagreement, and then it's where is the disagreement, and then who's promoting the disagreement, and then you've got guys like myself and A.D. Robles, and you got Protestia, and you got, and the the list goes on. Uh, Sometimes people, you know, Alan Atchinson. Sometimes people call that those blogs and stuff discernment blogs. But the list goes on of all these other people, some of them laymen, that have come in to do this job that the denominational leaders aren't doing or the organizational leaders won't do. They want to try to generally keep things in-house. I'm not saying in every case, but in general, they want to keep things in-house. They want to exercise such extreme caution and such charitable readings. They're not accurate readings anymore. There's charitable readings that you're calling all these false teachers brothers and you're you're allowing this stuff to come into the denomination unchecked and, and they're just taking advantage of it and they're pushing hard and they're accusing you of stuff and they're pushing you out. And meanwhile, it's not, let's get out our sword and fight. It's, well, you know, maybe we're on the same side and, and we just, we, we haven't seen eye to eye and we can convince them or we can. And, and so the verses that like come to my mind, um, would be like, uh, I'm thinking of like, be ready to give a, a, an answer to all those who ask for the hope that lies within you. That's like the that's the kind of thing I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of like a First Peter three fifteen response to this, or better yet, some of the verses that talk about false teachers. Like Romans sixteen says this verse seventeen. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles con- that create. Obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. What does he? What does Paul say? Watch out for them who cause those kinds of divisions, um, because they deceive hearts. Well, that means you're talking, because they're deceiving hearts. You, you, you're not just watching out. You're, you're saying something. You're seeing something. You're saying something. You're sounding the alarm bell. So it's th- this idea that you, we well, just got to keep kind of, and I'm not saying Josh Bice necessarily advocates this, but I, I it just clicked in my mind because um, the idea that a lot of conservatives are doing this, where they take so long, it takes months and years when there's false teaching in front of you, it's just not condemned because, man, that's a good brother. We don't really want to go after that. We want us to be careful. We, got, and 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 it just ends up uh, it being a completely losing strategy. So um, I'm gonna take you to the end of of this, which is where I interact directly with John Payne um, about this stuff, and I'll pull it up here. And so if I can find it with all these comments, man, there's so many comments. Uh, Let's see, doo-doo-doo. Okay, here it is. John Payne, he says, one comment on this thread said that what Elon Musk did last week was more gospel than what most churches do in a year. It was pointed, strategic, impactful, powerful, fair, just, costly, loving, smart, brave, sacrificing, etc. And it took zero committees. I think that's a joke, but John Payne is is taking it seriously. And he says another comment on this thread. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was not, you know, the zero committees I thought meant, meant it was a joke. What Payne said was a false dichotomy. I literally know zero Christians that confuse Elon Musk take over Twitter with the gospel. Who would do that? Is this a clear enough example of the temptation to misunderstand the true gospel, he asks. My pastoral impulse is to encourage God's people, including me, to not have a misplaced confidence and a misunderstanding of the true gospel. The mischaracterization and uncharitable assumptions communicated in this and other tweet slash Facebook threads are extraordinary. Many thanks to Josh Bice for his lucid and gracious response on this thread. So John Payne thanking his friend, uh, Josh Bice, for defending him. So I responded, is what I said. I, for one, do appreciate your concern for protecting the gospel. And I'm serious, I do. Some Christians, I'm sure, are putting too much hope in musks. I think that some are concerned with, myself included, are are, uh, things like this. And I posted the video that you saw at the beginning here. Scott Saul's uh, basically being a heretic. And um, then I said, your posture towards Scott Saul seems to be friendship, appreciation, and a desire for unity yet you're very concerned about Christians who are too excited that Elon Musk is returning a sense of freedom to Twitter. Perhaps I'm missing something. My desire is to help clarify and encourage as iron sharpens iron. John Payne says, a response to me, Scott and I are in very different places, opposite ends of the PCA. We sharply disagree on many things, but we still talk, and I want to understand and challenge his views. He wants to understand and challenge my views, too. It's what we do, though not always well. And when I read that, and it's it's no, it's it's hard for people I think who, who think in terms of personalities. Um, I, I'm try to think in terms of just truth, objectivity. Not not try to get the personalities out of the way. When I saw that, I I can recognize John Payne is probably a really nice guy. John Payne is probably someone I would love to go to church and be, and worship at his church. I'm sure. Um, in fact, I'll I'll be in Charleston uh, in July, and that I would love to go to John Payne's church i mean i i would the the thing is like i have no personal issue with with him or anything but when i read that immediately uh, i realized that this this kind of thing this this kind of um posture and and this kind of um approach to a false teacher is not going to work and and the disagreement might be that John Payne doesn't think he's a false teacher. He called him brother. That might be it. The disagreement might be um, that maybe we are supposed to treat false teachers differently. And I have, I, I think the scripture teaches us to be more aggressive towards false teachers. And that might be the disagreement too. I'm not sure. But either way, this approach is not going to work in the PCA. And, and it concerns me that and I think this is the thing that frustrates regular, ordinary, working-class Christians is who, who are just grateful they can tweet out again without having the same threats of getting suspended. Is something like this tweet is punching right, punching right hard, uh, and 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 it's so easy to do that. It's so you can you can do that so freely. There's no there's hardly any risk associated with this institutionally to punch right. But if you punch left, sometimes there can be, you got to make a lot of qualifications. You got to be very careful. You got to reinforce that the people promoting the false teaching are good uh, friends that you want to have camaraderie with. That's, I think, what's playing out in this. And so I, I think if I could articulate the frustration that people have and why people did react to that, it's it's because they've been in their minds they've been browbeaten for years by organizations like TGC where anything, anything they want to rejoice in any little glimmer of hope that they have it's like well it's it's bad actually it's like or it's you can't temper that a bit son you know and and it and don't stand too much against evil and they they they've been there's been a diet of this and so i think there's just like it's boiling over now they're just so upset and disappointed in their christian leaders in denominations and organizations and pastors sometimes that they just don't know what to do with themselves. I I think I'm channeling that right, uh, that energy. I think I'm, I'm representing that right just because I've talked to so many people that have these similar stories and they really desperately want, they want to see so bad, someone who's in a position like John Payne's to go out there and just start calling a spade a spade. They just want to hear him say something like, We've got a false teacher problem in the PCA. They don't want to hear someone trying to trip over themselves saying they're not liberals and they're brothers. They want someone to say, this is why things feel so different to you. This is why your lives have changed because there's false teaching coming in. This is why it's not the regular ordinary old church like it used to be in so many of your churches because we have false teaching coming in. And let me tell you, Scott Sauls is one of those false teachers. And let me tell you another one. It's Tim Keller. And let me That's what they want to hear. And because they know that that's the truth, they know inside that there's something wrong on a fundamental level. And anyone who tries to downplay it or temper it or can't identify where it's coming from, or they know that there's something awry with that. And that's how they're taking this. Whether this is true or not, and, and of John Payne, that's how it's being taken. And I would just encourage someone like a John Payne, um, even a Josh Bice, and, and I don't see everything these guys do. This is the thing. Like I'm. I, it's not like I'm watching every single thing they put out or something. I'm sure, I'm sure that, uh, they, they, these guys have probably named the names of false teachers at some point, uh, in, in some way. I would just, my encouragement is in general, there's not a lot of that going on. We need more of that. We need more identification of, I mean, that's what scripture calls us to do, uh, identify those who cause those divisions those who cause the divisions are the ones bringing the false teaching they're not and there's a division you can't deny there's a division so what what's what's the problem why is there a division is it this nameless faceless no it's 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 actually there's false teaching there's and there's false teachers it's not disembodied error it's error coming in from people that are subversive who are bringing it in let's identify them let's mark them uh, let's, uh, let's say what we need to say about them to warn others. Cause we love others. We love the people in our congregations and our denominations and organizations. That's what people are craving so bad. They want, and that's what shepherds do. They want a shepherd who's going to, you know, has that staff and isn't afraid to go whack a wolf with that staff. Isn't just thinking like, well, I want to make sure the wolves, you know, are, or, or, or they don't know how to identify a wolf. That's the other thing. It's like, that's. That that wolf in a sheep costume. I'm going to treat that like a sheep. Um, they they want someone who can identify the wolves, and then once the wolves are identified, someone who will whack those wolves, drive them away from the sheep herd. The sheep herd's getting ravaged right now, so ravaged, and it, it's uh, it's a grievous thing to me. And that's honestly that's the thing that keeps me doing this kind of thing and making videos because frankly, if I if I didn't call out someone like on this platform. If I didn't uh, call out Scott Sauls, you, you have the Dear Woke Christian. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that that particular channel did call out him, uh, did call him out. But if I didn't didn't do it, if, if you didn't have Dear Woke Christian, if you didn't have A.D. Robles, if you didn't have some of these other smaller platforms of people that generally aren't even pastors a lot of the time, they're just they're picking they're they're providing a service that is being neglected because pastors should be doing this, but they're providing a neglected service. If, if those guys weren't doing it, then I don't think that there would be, that path wouldn't be cleared for conservatives in these organizations to do much of anything. They wouldn't, that that it's, and it's a dirty work. It's thankless work. Oftentimes uh, it's, um it, it's hard. And, and, and I'm not trying to play the world's smallest violin. I'm thinking of others who I know who have been in real tough spots who have, uh, been attacked in ways that I haven't. That risk themselves to go identify th- these false teachers, and and it took a toll on them and their family and their ministry in some cases. And 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 they would do it over because they know that it, it will be ignored. And 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 so I think people are looking for uh, shepherds with guts who are willing to say what needs to be said, that will care about the sheep, not about positioning not about who cares about that who cares honestly who cares about the denominations at the end of the day who cares and i'm not saying you shouldn't care about your denomination i'm just saying ultimately speaking if the denomination's going to go in a bad direction that's that's not the kingdom of god and if it's going to go it's going to go and we just we need to steward our resources and what we have in the best way possible and we don't want to compromise truth to save the denomination or the institution or the seminary that's that's the issue we don't just you know, try to protect the institution Destroy that guy who's pointing out the actual flaws that are here. We don't. Anyway, I'm going on my own tangent here Um, (laughs) because I think there's a righteous indignation I have that we don't have more of that. And it's so sad to me. So I'll end this with this. So I texted some Presbyterian friends of mine, one of whom told me to follow John Payne uh, and maybe even to set up an interview with him a few months ago. Uh, It was last fall, I guess. And so, was, Hey, you, you need to follow John Payne. Like, this is the guy, this is the conservative guy who's, who's, you know, on leading the charge against the left and, and the false teachers. And, um and so I, I, I texted them ab- about this. And, and basically I'm just going to tell you straight up both of them. I, I thought, cause, cause I was just like, you know, I'm missing something. What's going on. And both of them were just like, yeah. To tell you the truth, John, we don't expect that there's going to be great things. In fact, uh, one of them said, like it's inevitable, the denomination's going to split. There's just no way to avoid it. This is someone last year who was telling me that they he thought it was recoverable. Um, I I was pretty surprised by the changing of, of tunes there, and there's uh, and, and that's what's going on. So either some guys got to grow some spines real quick <laughs> and really go after this stuff hard. Go full Jay Gresham Machin on them, or um, or it, it may be an SBC type situation. I hate to say that, um, and I'm I'm not as well versed on the Presbyterian issues. But if this is the best that the conservatives have as far as fighting this, I, I don't I don't foresee good things uh, myself. And um, and and it's this isn't meant to be like a an unfair criticism of John Payne or anything like that. Maybe he's a guy that just, he, he's ill suited for where he's at and he needs to be in a different spot or something, but there needs to be people in the SBC and PCA that will go do the aggressive things uh, at the institutional level. It, it can't just be warhorn media and, and folks like that. Uh, it, it can't be, um, and I've read like maybe two of their articles, but they seem to be more aggressive. It can't just be people without that kind of clout. It's gotta be people that are, have that authority to, to do something. So, all right, I've taken way too long on this. I hope that was helpful for folks. Uh, God bless. And uh, we'll see if there's there's any more developments on this, but um, I hope that uh, hope it was encouraging to, to at least, uh, I know it's discouraging in some ways, but I hope it's encouraging for you to at least recognize, if you're in the PCA especially, the kind of leadership maybe. But maybe look, look for the leaders that, are going to, to say those things, and maybe there are some that I'm not aware of. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's the person you need to be, and, and God's calling you to that. Uh, so um, that that would be that would be my encouragement to you. So God bless. Bye now.